Good afternoon, Dr. Jones. Thank you so much for agreeing to this interview. You're welcome. Good to be here. Great. Well, let's get started. Uh, today's topic is social engineering in Germany. But since we have E. Michael Jones on, uh, I've always wanted to ask him a variety of questions. So we're going to do a YNP10 with Dr. Jones, and then we're going to move into the main topic. Are you ready, Dr. Jones? Yes, I am. Good. Um, <clears throat> YNP10, question one. Um, do Kanye West's goofy antics discredit him and his message? All right. Uh, what, what happened here is something that was uh, personal to him. Uh, he reacted in a kind of personal way. The most important thing he had to talk about was his uh, Jewish uh, personal trainer and the control that this man had over him. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't think Kanye prepared properly to uh, address the bigger issue. So he flew, uh, flew in his private jet down to Texas, got on talking with Tim Poole. Uh, Tim kind of pushed back and said there's no such thing as the Jews. It's just individuals. Uh, Kanye was right in seeing this as, as a mistake, uh, but he got up and walked off. Okay, so that was aborted right then and there. Uh, secondly, uh, he went on Alex Jones and just went open like stream of consciousness for about three hours, uh, during which time he said a lot of, uh, you know, positive things about uh, his Christian faith. But he, uh, he should have known that uh, the ADL was simply waiting for him to say one of two words, Hitler and uh, Holocaust. And as soon as he said that, that was, in a sense, the end of the interview. He, he did not stay on topic. He did not dominate the discussion. He did not take the discussion where it should have been taken. And where it should have been taken, in my opinion, is to talk about the power that the ADL and these organizations has in ruining your life. Who gave these people this power? And how can we allow groups like this to basically tyrannize the entire population? He should have focused on this, in my humble opinion, and uh, put the, the, the spotlight on them instead of on him. He, he didn't, uh, he, he hasn't written a, written a book about Hitler, as far as I know. He's got personal opinions about something that he really has no authority to talk about. So I think he, he, he lost a, a, a great uh, opportunity and is paying the price for it now. And he probably shouldn't have worn a black mask over his face. No, I don't know what, I don't know what this gimmick uh, is. is. It, it, it had a kind of mystical aura to it that I think was completely inappropriate. It should have been focused on the issue at hand, which is the power that the ADL has to ruin your life. Okay, question two. Putin and Xi serve as the modern Goldsteins, but are Russia and China merely WEF players of a different hue? No, no, absolutely not. No, we're, we're seeing a real battle here between the ocean uh, nations, the Anglo-American empire, and the Eurasian landmass of the sort that uh, Mackinder wrote about in his book, The Pivot of Civilization, over 100 years ago. This is a fundamental uh, fault line in geopolitics, and uh, the United States, because of its stupid uh, neoconservative foreign policy, 
has basically united the Eurasian landmass against it in a battle that the United States cannot win. They cannot win this battle. And the battle I'm talking about specifically is the Ukraine. So this is real. Uh, it is, we're not talking about phony opposition. We're not talking about both sides being controlled by Mr. Rothschild or anything. This is real, real geopolitical battle. But what would you say about the people who say that um, anybody who's fully on board the COVID pandemic agenda cannot be someone who's backing his populace? And it seems that Russia, uh, Putin is on that agenda and Russia is striving to do the best they can to um, support the WHO. No, I, I I think that uh, this was a judgment. This was an event that caught, I think, the world by surprise, including uh, Vladimir Putin. And I think the first reaction was to go with what he thought was the science. And he did. And I think he, he I think now we realize that, that this was a mistake. Uh, but at the in the heat of the moment, I don't think he understood. I don't think he understood the full implications, probably because he was more concerned about the geopolitical takeover of the Ukraine and the, the fact that NATO was uh, heading toward uh, Russia to destroy it. So probably distracted. Right. OK, question three. Are the Rothschilds the bankers for the Vatican and the royal family? Uh, you'd have to ask uh, the royal family and the Vatican. I don't have information about their bank account, so I can't answer that question. Okay, so we'll pass there. Number five. Um, sorry, number four. Alone among all of our modern warmonger presidents was Jimmy Carter, our peace president. Jim, Jimmy Carter came to office uh, in the mid-70s when there was a large uh, reaction against the Vietnam War and also the role that the CIA had been playing in uh, American geopolitics up until that time. Uh, one, one month after uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated, Harry Truman said that the CIA was a rogue organization. See, Harry Truman is the man who brought the CIA into existence. I think he felt that it had a policy that was completely independent of any governmental control. And I think he was telling the world that basically they, they played a role in the Kennedy assassination. Uh, so by the time Jimmy Carter comes into office, you have the uh, church hearings, Senator Church from Idaho, revealing all sorts of uh, information about the CIA being involved in illegal activity. Uh, at that point, Jimmy Carter appointed uh, Stansfield Turner, Admiral Turner, to be uh, head of the CIA. And the job was to basically eliminate the rogue element in the CIA. Uh, he, I think he felt he could isolate it with a, a number of agents, maybe 2,000 agents. I think that was the number. Get rid of those guys, bring it under control. Well, it's not that simple. Uh, just because you're the president of the United States doesn't mean you can do that. And so what happened here is that George H.W. Bush uh, stepped in and basically mobilized the agents that Carter had uh, removed and then used them as a way of defeating Carter uh, 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 as chances of being reelected. By uh, one of the things um, George H.W. Bush did was basically bribe the Ayatollah Khomeini to continue the hostage crisis. And it was the hostage crisis that eventually brought down uh, Jimmy Carter and made him a one-term president. So it was an attempt, uh, and, uh, if you were talking, uh, an attempt, a, uh, a goodwill attempt on the part of Jimmy Carter to bring a rogue agency under control, and, and it failed simply because he didn't have the power 
to bring it about. Understood. Uh, moving on, I'm going to ask you a couple culture questions. Um, you've said that all music is spiritual, that is motivated by a spirit. So is it wrong to listen to music motivated by a dark spirit? And I can rephrase this. Is it wrong for me to listen to a great Rolling Stones tune if the lyrics are evil? Well, uh, you have to make a distinction between the lyrics and, and the music. Uh, there are, Plato warned uh, people in the Republic that music was a dangerous, uh, a dangerous medium because it could go directly into the soul, uh, kind of bypassing your cognitive facilities and arousing emotions in a way that could lead you to act in a way that you normally would not act. And the classic example of this was the Dionysian Festival. Uh, he was very suspicious of certain instruments like the aulus, which was a reed instrument, like the uh, saxophone, because he felt that these, this type of music could arouse passions to where they were beyond rational control. And if that spread throughout the society, it would destroy the social order. And they, the man who dealt with this in artistic fashion was Euripides, specifically in his play, The Bacchae. I think what he said is true. I think so that, yes, music is a spiritual force, but there are bad spirits out there. And this uh, the sports can be used to uh, basically uh, break down your normal rational defenses against behavior that you would consider immoral. And it has been used that way, has been weaponized. So now if you're talking about the Rolling Stones, you're talking about a particular moment in time when a bunch of Englishmen discovered the blues over here. And they discovered Negro music. And it was kind of unique to have white Englishman with accents like Mick Jagger's singing the blues as if he just got <laughs> off the, the train from Mississippi. Right. Uh, and that was that was interesting for a while. Uh, but it's essentially a kind of folk music, uh, a folk music that is uh, been with amplified instruments and so on and so forth, uh, that had a, a, a kind of logic of its own uh, that prevented it from being totally subversive. Now, if you add to that lyrics about sympathy for the devil and all this other type of stuff, obviously you're heading in a, in a direction that is deliberately transgressive. And, and so it, they, they kind of balanced each other, each other off. I think that, that that whole foray into Satanism was a complete waste of time. I think that the best music they ever did, I think it was the album Sticky Fingers, which they did in Muscle Shoals. I, I, you can't underestimate the influence that Muscle, Muscle Shoals recording studio had on pop music at this period of time. Was that in England? No, it was in Alabama. Oh, really? Yeah. No, it's a, just a bunch of uh, white boys from the South who did stupendous arrangements. I mean, there's just, if you take uh, Aretha Franklin and respect, really great soul song or Percy Sledge when a man loves a woman like the horn section in that it's like quintessential soul music it was all a bunch of white boys playing this down in Alabama you take the other side of the coin you take uh sticky fingers it's the best uh, album the Rolling Stones ever did because they had great uh, producers there and uh they they could not get beyond what they were what's your favorite song off that album 
I think Brown Sugar is a great song. <laughs> I think it's a great song. I think it, it's a it's a complex song. Uh, it it's just it is what it is. They never got beyond. They never got beyond Brown Sugar. You can't take it farther than what it is. It's like no matter what you do, it's still a Ford. You know, right. you you can put big wings on it, but it's still an automobile. And that's all they they kind of mastered that. And that it is what it is. And I don't see it as any at this point. I don't see it as a particularly pernicious cultural effect. Uh, there are worse things that have happened since that time. Uh, and I but, but I think that they were limited by the culture uh, that they were working in. Right, right. That they couldn't go beyond it. Okay, continuing with culture. Uh, do you like Woody Allen movies? No. Why not? I uh, look. I, I had the the quintessential Woody Allen experience in 1966. I was in Cambridge in England, and I saw Annie Hall. Right. And I and I thought I really do not like this movie at all. There's Wait a minute. Something... Didn't Annie Hall come out in the mid 70s? Didn't I say that? Oh, did you say 76? Said... I'm sorry. I said 70, 78 is what I meant to say. Okay, great. I think it came, I, obviously it was a little bit after uh, its premiere. Yeah. Uh, the main reason, but I couldn't articulate it because the main thing I could not say was the word Jew. That's what that's what Annie Hall is about. Annie Hall is basically Philip Roth's uh, Portnoy's complaint turned into a, mu uh, a movie. It's all of the Jewish tropes, all of the kind of obnoxious Jewish behavior that uh, we've come to associate with that period uh, of history. And I couldn't articulate it because I couldn't, I, the word Jew simply was not a category of my mind. Right. Couldn't, couldn't articulate it. I think the one of the most striking scenes in that movie is when he goes and visits her parents and it's it's over the top. Um, it's like hatred for the goyim, yeah. hatred, hatred for these, Poor people living in uh, what you know, someplace in Wisconsin. You know what I mean? It's 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 just dripping with this kind of uh, Jewish superiority complex because he lives in New York City. It's just a, a completely obnoxious movie, completely obnoxious. But if you don't have the category Jew, you won't be able to explain it. Right, right. Okay, the um, last three questions all relate to Germany. So you can just give a yes, no, or pass, and we'll move right on, because I'm sure you're going to address these questions in our longer discussion. Okay. Um, and I read your article this morning, and amazing. Um, uh, Dr. Goebbels was able to prove to his countrymen in black and white that the enemy planned the enslavement of Germany. That's a quote from your article. Question one, was Goebbels correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And two, and two, was Germany indeed enslaved? Absolutely. Okay, yes. number next question. Does the US want a shooting war with Russia? Yes. And last question. Germany has been ruined by sexual liberation. That's one of your quotes. Um, is ruined a bit strong here? No. No, not at all. I mean, you've got a government that has completely capitulated to its status as a total vassal of the American empire at the very moment when the American empire is set out to destroy Germany. 
And I'm talking literally because they blew up that Nord Stream pipeline that is going to condemn Germany to spend six times the what it was previously paying for uh, natural gas and face shortages uh, that will lead to blackouts throughout the winter, uh, people uh, freezing to death in their homes, and also the destruction of German industry. Because, because of energy costs, they're going to be priced out of the market. So uh, there is no exaggeration whatsoever involved in this. Right. And the destruction of German industry, that sort of brings deja vu. But um, I'd like to get into, into our present situation, but let's go back a bit and let's talk about social conditioning in Germany. And let's talk about the sexual revolution in Germany. And I wonder if I might tell you a real short anecdote and get your reaction on it. So I was in, I was in Barcelona in um, 1985. I was on a study abroad, abroad program. And long story short, one day, two German girls in our program, we were all about 20 years old, uh, invited me and my buddy out to the beach, a town called Sitges. And they said, yeah, we got a nice apartment out there. Let's go have fun over the weekend. They weren't even friends. They were more or less acquaintances. And they were also in our program. It was an international program. We go out to the beach and uh, have a good time, go out to dinner. And that night we're in the apartment and um, my buddy and I are on the sofas in the living room. They go to their bedrooms, it's two bedroom flat. And one pops out of her bedroom, opens the door, looks over at me and she says, wouldn't you rather spend the night with me in my bed? And uh, <laughs> it floored me. I didn't even know her basically. And I said, no, that's all right, I passed. And I looked at my friend and we kind of had a chuckle over it. But the next morning over breakfast, we decided to talk about this and we found out how how loose um, uh, German sexual mores were at that time, at least for the youth. And she said that her first sexual experience was at age 14. And um, and I said, well, what did your parents think about that? And she said, oh, no, he would come over to my house on the weekend and my parents would invite him. And then we'd have breakfast together the next morning. OK, and now now back, back up from it. She was four, what year was she born in? Well, okay, she was, uh, yeah. 20, she, was she was 20 and 85? 65, 66, yep. 65, 66, okay, yep. okay. All Are right. you surprised by this story? No, I'm not surprised by this story because I had a front row seat. So I arrived in Germany in the, uh, 1973. Yep. Uh, I'm uh, married. I bring my wife. I, we have one child at this point. And so, in a sense, I'm a little bit insulated from the 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 sexual uh, uh, goings on at this point, largely because of that. But at, at this point, I realized uh, I'm walking through the town, and suddenly I'm noticing all of these softcore porn films are now being shown on the uh, uh, local th little local neighborhood theaters, and I'm wondering what's going on here. Uh, I had a front row seat to something that I did not understand, simply could not understand. Because again, as with Woody Allen, I didn't have the categories. And the main category that I needed to understand was the social engineering that took place in Germany after World War II, which set out to de deliberately corrupt the morals of German women. It's that simple. And by the time, so by the time you're there, so, uh, she was born in 65. I probably could have taught her at the gymnasium. She would have been right. like 10, 10 years old. 
uh, that's the first year. I think the first year you're 10 or 11 years old when you get into the gymnasium. She could have been one of my students at that point. And at that point, it was uh, the theater, the culture, the glossy magazines, and sex education in the schools. Because at this point, the socialists had taken over. 1972, the socialists had taken over the government. Willy Brandt was the uh, prime minister. And they had a program of deliberate sexualization of the culture that they were pursuing. So I am not surprised. I am not surprised. That is the fundamental problem with Germany right now. It's such a basic problem. Nobody, nobody, even, nobody understands it anymore. And nobody understands how that corruption of the se sexual morality led to a, a nation of zombies. You've got a nation of zombies who can't even say, wait a minute, the, uh, the, the, the Americans just blew up our pipeline. Don't you think we should do something about this? They become completely docile sex, sexual robots. That's the problem with Germany. And explain to us how it got to that point. What happened post-war that led to this crazy situation? Okay, so first of all, you had uh, the attempt on the part of the Jews in America to literally destroy the German people. So you had books uh, like uh, Germany Must Perish by Theodore Kaufmann. This Jew proposed the mass sterilization of the German people and uh, sending the men into slavery. What year was this? This was, uh, I believe, was 43, 44, before the war was over. Jew, the Jews started writing books at this point. Is he the one that wrote the book, uh, The Germans Must Perish? Right. Germany Must Perish. Germany Must Perish, right. Okay. So, And then there's Louis, Louis Neiser. Uh, another Jew, another attorney who's also writing along these lines. I forget the name of his book. And then, of course, in the middle of all this, there's Morgenthau. Henry Morgenthau, who was the Secretary of Treasury, who was, in a sense, a leader of this German group, uh, of uh, this group of Jews who are determined to have what they call the hard peace. Yes. In other words, the premise that these Jews were articulating at this point was there is something bad about German DNA. It was a fundamentally racist understanding of Germany that the only solution when you have bad DNA is sterilization and extermination. And that is precisely what uh, Kaufmann proposed in his book. And then uh, Henry Morgenthau steps in with his book after that playing uh, good cop to Kaufmann's bad cop. And he says, no, no, I don't think we should sterilize them. We should just deindustrialize and flood the mines in the Ruhrgebiet and make sure that turn, turned all of Germany into an agrarian society. Goebbels, as you mentioned earlier, got the Morgenthau plan uh, in advance, and he went on the German uh, uh, radio and he said that uh, the uh, Jude Morgenthau the ganz Deutschland in ein Kartoffelfeld verwandeln. He's going to turn all of Germany into a potato patch. And he was absolutely right. And the Americans, like uh, the Secretary of uh, Defense uh, of War, Stimson, said this was like adding 10 divisions to Hitler's army because the people, the German people realized they were fighting for their existence as a people now because of the long arm of Jewish vengeance. This is so the reaction at this point started circulating through Washington. People like Stimson, people like Patton. P 
Patton is a yes, tell us about I, amazing stuff you told about Patton. Tell us about Patton's reaction to the Morgenthau plan and everything you said up to this point. Well, Patton's appalled at the way the German people are being treated. You have a, a, a huge difference between the way Eisenhower, who was fully on board with the Morgenthau plan, and Patton treated the German soldier after he was captured. Eisenhower put them in the Rheinwiesen lager, just put up uh, fences around them on the Rhine meadows, not far from where I lived, and let them stand out in the, in the elements and starve to death. So, and then it, that became a big ba uh, numbers battle after Bach's book came out in the 1990s. Now, you're talking about 20 years after I was there as a teacher, when the first reports of the Rheinwiesen Lager start coming out. That's in the mid-1990s. This is, this is 50 years after the end of the war. No one talked about this. I, I had friends, British friends, in Rheinberg. There was a Rheinwiesen Lager in Rheinberg. We used to go there for weekends. It wasn't far from where we lived, right along the Rhine. Nobody knew about it. And then finally, with the box book, uh, the, the word starts to get out. And you realize there was a huge difference between the way Patton treated the soldiers and the way Eisenhower treated them. Eisenhower refused to declare them prisoners of war so that he wouldn't have to follow the Geneva Convention. Patton kept them and sent them home. And one of the soldiers that got sent home by General Patton, after a short period of internment, was Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict the uh, the Sixteenth. Right now, do you think Eisenhower shared the same animus that Morgenthau had towards the German people, or was he was he was he bribed? Was he under pressure? Was he blackmailed? Why why such a different reaction from Patton? What is it about Eisenhower? Eisenhower had political ambitions. And he, I think he understood that he needed the Jews on board as his publicity agents. So uh, why do I say this? Because uh, the man who was in charge of psychological operations uh, under Eisenhower's command, General McClure, his assistant was C.D. Jackson, a Jew whose real name was Jacobson. And C.D. Jackson became the, the head of psychological warfare under Eisenhower. So... C.D. Jackson orchestrated the propaganda campaign that eventually became known as the Holocaust. He did it in a completely crazy way. Uh, Eisenhower, just to give you some indication of what happened here, the first camp that uh, the Eisenhower liberated was a place called Ordruf that nobody knows about. He showed up, and there are dead bodies all over the place. There's, that's a reality. That's not a fiction. He brings in the cameras and you take picture of all these dead bodies. He brings in Omar Bradley. He brings in Patton and they inspect the camp. Obviously, there are dead bodies here. But the question is, well, how did they die? Well, that's where the propaganda starts to kick in. So Eisenhower sees a moment of opportunity. This is now we can tell the American soldier what he's been fighting for. I guess there was doubt in the American soldier's mind at this point. There was certainly doubt in Patton's mind. He felt that they backed the wrong people. He felt they should have backed the Germans against the, so uh, the Soviet uh, army. So uh, this is where I Eisenhower's key figure is C.D. Jackson. C.D. Jackson becomes his campaign manager when he runs for president. And then as soon as he's appointed, uh, elected president, he brings him into the White House as head of psychological warfare. So I think that Eisenhower was aware of the power of psychological warfare 
in a way that Patton was not, and Patton was not interested in manipulating. Patton was a soldier, and he was interested in defeating the enemy and treating him honorably after he was defeated. Eisenhower was involved in something completely different. He was completely involved with the whole Jewish vengeance operation, completely on board with everything that Morgenthau said, and was there in the tent in England when the Morgenthau plan got hatched and it had his full approval. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, okay. Um, what I wanted to continue with is uh, tell us how we get out of our current predicament, uh, especially as it relates to Germany. But I think you can maybe put that in your little talk with uh, Dominic. I've brought a German friend with me today. His name's Dominic. And uh, he has maybe a question or two about your Heisenberg article. And maybe you can, uh, in German, give a little message to the German youth if you'd be interested. Okay, good. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Jones, for your time today. Uh, it was a great interview, and it was an honor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wunderschön. Uh Schönen guten Tag, Herr, Herr Jones. Ähm, ich habe die Gelegenheit gehabt, gestern einmal Ihren, Ihren Artikel über Heisenberg durchzulesen. Gut. Und da sind mir ein paar Fragen zu eingefallen. Und zwar Gut. jetzt... Ähm, ja, jetzt können, können Sie, be be bevor wir mit, mit, mit den Fragen ja, da ja. anfangen, können Sie sich ein bisschen vorstellen, so, oh, ja. woher, ja. woher kommen Sie, wie alt sind Sie, woher kommen Sie, ja. insofern, dass Sie Ich will nicht, dass Sie in Gefängnis kommen, aber ein bisschen Richtig. über Ihren Hintergrund würde, würde mir helfen. Ja, also ich bin, ich bin 20 Jahre alt. Ich äh, bin zurzeit in den USA, bin aber in, in Deutschland aufgewachsen, dort zur Schule gegangen, ähm, habe dort das Gymnasium besucht. Und äh, ja, jetzt im Moment lebe ich in den USA und, ähm, ja, und habe Sie auch da, äh, durch einen durch deinen hier kennengelernt. Ähm, Ja, und... Und studieren Sie jetzt an der Uni? Noch nicht, nee, aber ich plane vielleicht, ich überlege möglicherweise in den USA oder auch in Deutschland zu studieren. Also da, okay. da bin ich mir noch nicht sicher. Das wird sich noch herausstellen. Ja. Okay, gut, prima. Prima, also Sie, Sie haben ein, meinen Artikel über äh, Werner Heisenberg gelesen. Ja, zum Teil zumindest. Ich bin etwa bei der Hälfte. Also den, den Anfang habe ich gelesen. Okay, ähm, Ja, und wie ich, wie ich verstehe, ähm, haben Sie auch in Deutschland gelebt und waren dort Lehrer, ähm, wie ich jetzt mit Ich war von, von, von 1973 bis 76 war ich, war ich Englischlehrer an einem Gymnasium am Niederrhein. Oh ja. So, ja. Ich, 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 ich wohnte in, in Rees, das ist eine, eine Kleinstadt am, direkt am Rhein, so etwa zehn Kilometer von der holländischen Grenze. So zwischen äh, Wesel und Emmerich, direkt am Rhein. Oh ja. eine, eine sehr, sehr schöne Zeit, sehr schöne Zeit für mich. Äh, einmalig, äh, ein einmaliges Erlebnis. Ich habe die, die Leute da dort gut kennengelernt. Ich bin zurück zur katholischen Kirche, zur katholischen Glaube dort äh, gekommen. Das war ein, ein eine sehr äh, wichtige Kapitel in, in, meinem, in meinem Leben. Wundervoll, ja schön. Gut, äh, ich würde direkt mal äh, zu deinem Artikel über Heisenberg gehen. Und zwar ähm, hat mich da, ist mir da ins Auge gesprungen, dass Sie unterscheiden zwischen einmal Juden und Zionisten. Ähm, können Sie das einmal erläutern, was, was da der Unterschied ist und was es mit diesen beiden Gruppen auf sich hat? Ja, also die, die Juden, das, das ist eine Rasse, ein Volk. Äh, und äh, 
Zionismus ist eine politische Bewegung. Also während dem 19. Jahrhundert äh, in dem sogenannten äh, Pale of the Settlement, ich weiß nicht, wie man das auf Deutsch sagt, äh, also an der Westgrenze äh, von Russland, äh, kursierte durch diese Gruppe äh, zwei verschiedene Ideologien. So jüdischer Internationalismus, und das heißt also Kommunismus, das würde man Kommunismus oder Sozialismus nennen, oder äh, andererseits äh, jüdischer Nationalismus, und das war äh, Zionismus. Und äh, beide äh, Weltanschauungen hat gegenseitig konkurriert, gegen, gegeneinander. Und am Anfang war der, der Haupt, äh, spielte der Hauptrolle dieser Internationalismus. Die, zu dieser Zeit, also sagen wir mal, am Ende des 19. Jahrhunderts, Anfang des 20. Jahrhunderts, war Kommunismus als äh, die bewegende Ideologie für junge Juden da. Äh, heraus, äh, äh, es spielte eine, eine wichtige Rolle. Man kann die, äh, die, die Wichtigkeit dieser Rolle nicht übertreiben. Und dann ja. nur, später, nur später kam, äh, sagen wir mal, nach dem Zweiten Weltkrieg, äh, dann kam der, die äh, erste Ausdrücke von diesem deutschen, äh, äh, jüdischen äh, Nationalismus, die man äh, Zionismus nennt. Und das wurde stärker, immer stärker, bis zum äh, 1967, als es, dieser Krieg gegen die Araber und die äh, Israelis. Und dann äh, wurde äh, äh, Zionismus stärker in ihren Einfluss über den jüdischen Volk. Oh ja. Und, und wie ist es heutzutage? Wie ist, wie ist es mit dem Zionismus heutzutage? Ähm, da kenne ich mich jetzt gar nicht aus, ob es da Leute gibt, die das offen bekennen, dass sie Zionisten sind und, äh, oder die das ausleben. Um, ja, ja nat du, nat natürlich spielte der, der, der Zusammenbruch von Kommunismus, von der Sowjetunion eine wichtige Rolle dabei. Nicht? Plötzlich, oh ja. plötzlich stellte man fest, dass diese Ideen nicht mehr gültig waren. Das, es kam, kam vor, als ob diese ganz überholte Ideen waren. Wir reden jetzt von der Periode, der mit 1989 da anfing, mit der Fall von der äh, Mauer in Berlin. Richtig. Ja. Also dann, äh, äh, Kommunismus war ganz aus, aus Mode geraten. Das war nicht äh, eine, eine über, überholte Ideologie, äh, die man im, äh, im Mülleimer der Geschichte da hineinwerfen könnte. Und danach äh, waren die Zionisten viel stärker in ihren Einfluss über das, über das jüdische Volk. Und das ist äh, immer noch der Fall, würde ich sagen. Oh ja. Ähm, also würdest du sagen, dass äh, der Kommunismus als solches ein Hauptbestandteil des ähm, Zionismus oder ein Ziel des Zionismus ist? Oder der Zionismus? Es, es spielte eine Rolle. Die, die Juden, die aus Polen kamen, waren alle äh, kommunistische äh, in ihrer Einstellung. Ja. Das war, also, und das kam zum Ausdruck in den äh, ersten, die ersten Gründungen, diese Kibbutz, Kibbutzim, diese Bauernhöfe, die die gegründet haben in, in Israel, in die eroberten Gebiete von Palästina. Das waren alle im Prinzip sozialistische äh, äh, Lebensformen, die, die äh, in, in, 
in sozusagen, die, die, wie man es auf Englisch sagen würde, die Default-Setting für, für jüdisches Denken war. Yeah. Aber, aber da die jetzt in Palästina da groß geworden sind, hatte das eine andere Auswirkung als, sagen wir mal, bei in den Vereinigten Staaten, wo die Kommunisten, die Juden, immer bei der Unterwanderung von, dem, äh, äh, von der Gesellschaft äh, äh, teilgenommen haben. Oh ja, wie, ähm, wie, sieht, wie sieht eine solche Unterwanderung aus? Also in, wie hat sich die gezeigt in der Gesellschaft? Oder Erstens, ja. erstens äh, in Bezug, auch in Bezug von Deutschland, äh, gab es eine große Unterwanderung von äh, Sexual äh, Moral von der Sexualität, die moralische Verfassung des amerikanischen Volkes. Und das fing erst mit Filmen an. Es gab ja seit den 30er Jahren gab es Streit in Amerika zwischen den Juden, die Hollywood unter ihrer Kontrolle hatten, und die Katholiken. Die Katholiken und die Protestanten waren empört über diese moralische Unterwanderung, die dauernd äh, aus Hollywood kam. Die, die, ja. die Juden waren immer darauf bedacht, äh, äh, die sexuelle Moralität des amerikanischen Volkes zu unterwandern. Durch äh, äh, Nachtheit äh, und äh, Obszönität und ähnliche Sachen. Für, äh, und äh, es kam zu einer Krise äh, 1933, die Katholiken haben einen Boykott organisiert in Philadelphia und die äh, Warner Brothers äh, äh, haben äh, so 100.000 Dollar pro Woche verloren, in, allein in Philadelphia. Und die Katholiken drohten, diesen äh, Boykott auszubreiten und dann haben die, äh, die Juden nachgegeben und haben ihre, die sogenannte Production Code da, äh, in Kraft gesetzt. Und das hieß also, dass die Katholiken äh, Veto macht über was da aus Hollywood kam. Und das heißt also keine äh, nackte Frauen, keine äh, äh, Sport von äh, Priester und so weiter und so fort. Und das hat äh, 31 Jahre gedauert, so bis äh, 1965. Und dann zu dieser Zeit haben die, äh, die Juden äh, im Zusammenarbeit mit äh, Leuten wie Ingmar Bergmann in Schweden äh, versucht, die, äh, die, die Obszönitätsgesetze äh, zu brechen, übers Board zu werfen. Und in Deutschland ist es, ist es ihnen gelungen, mit einem ein Film namens Das Schweigen. Die Deutschen oh ja. wussten nicht, die haben ein, äh, äh, eine sogenannte Volkswagen. Das war ähnlich wie die Legion of Decency in Amerika. Das hatte okay. die volle, volle Unterstützung von der katholischen Kirche und im, im, insbesondere die volle Unterstützung von Cardinal Frings von Cologne, Köln. Und aber es kam äh, eine andere Generation an der Reihe zu dieser Zeit, der man bestens mit der Joseph äh, Ratzinger da verkörpern könnte. Und er wollte nichts mehr von dieser negativen äh, Einstellung haben. Er wollte etwas Positiv Positives äh, herbeibringen und die haben einfach die weiße Fahne äh, herausgehisst. 
Die haben ja. einfach ausgegeben. Die, die katholische Kirche in Deutschland hat ihre Rolle als äh, äh, Verwehrer, äh, als äh, Verteidiger der äh, moralischen äh, Fundamente de, des deutschen Volkes hat es einfach aufgegeben. Mhm. Aufgegeben. Und die, die, die Resultate waren katastrophal für Deutschland. Katastrophal. Und bis heute, bis heute, wo man äh, diese, eine, eine, eine Nation von Sexrobots da haben, die einfach pr praktisch gar, gar nicht die Frage stellen können, wer hat den Nord Stream in die Luft gesprengt? Die dürfen ist, sowas nicht ja. fragen. Ja. Ja. Die sind so eingeschüchtert durch diese äh, sexuelle Befreiung, dass die das, es nicht wagen, diese Frage zu stellen. Ja, und, und welche Rolle haben äh, Bildungseinrichtungen, Schulen und äh, Kindergärten dabei gespielt? Welche Rolle hat wer wen gespielt? Welche, welche Rolle haben Schulen, Gymnasien? Ja, Schulen waren immer dabei für die sexuelle Erklär Erklärung. Das fing an, als ich Richtig. Lehrer war am, am Niederrhein, 73. Dann sollte ich als Lehrer da diese, diese scheiß äh, 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 Sexualerklärung da einführen. Ich, ich, ich habe einfach nicht verstanden, wie gravierend dieser Fall war. Einfach nicht verstanden, weil ich zu jung war und weil ich eben die Kategorie nicht hatte, um das zu ja. verstehen. Und mhm. ich würde sagen, dass das ganze deutsche Volk hat die Kategorie nicht, eben durch diese Unterwanderung, die direkt nach dem Zweiten Weltkrieg angefangen hat. Also die, 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 die Amis, die, die, die Erwachsene im Zimmer haben festgestellt, dass das Morgensaplan nur jüdische Rache war. Und die haben das abgelehnt und die haben ein neues Plan da eingeführt und das war der sogenannte Marshall Plan. Aber der Marshall Plan, der fing mit der Währungsreform von 1948 an und dann wurde es zum Social Engineering. Sofort zum Social Engineering. Und die Hauptorgane von dieser Social Engineering waren die illustrierten Zeitschriften. Die Stern beispielsweise. Ja, Genau. Eben Stern mehr als, als äh, Spiegel. Äh, war, war die eben diese äh, Bilder, nicht? Äh, große Bilder. Und der, der, das fing im Ernsten an mit dem sogenannten Kinsey-Report. Bevor diese Zeit war Report kein deutsches Wort. Das Wort ja. ist Bericht. Auf ah. Deutsch ist das Wort Bericht. Richtig. Aber wann ist es so ein, ein deutsches Wort geworden? Durch das Kinsey-Report. Und danach, als ich da war, als ich Lehrer da war, am, am Niederrhein in Reis, was fing an, an die, im Kino da äh, zu, zu, äh, zu sehen, die, die Deutschen haben das zu sehen bekommen, Schulmädchenreport. Der Schulmädchenreport. Und das mhm. war, hatte direkte Verbindung da mit, äh, mit dem Kinsey-Report und die Verbreitung von sexueller Unterwanderung, die die, die äh, die Illustrierten da hervorgebracht haben. Interessant. Ähm, ich würde jetzt noch einmal ähm, weiter in unsere Zeit, in die aktuelle Situation, ähm, den, den, den Blick da, dorthin werfen und äh, wür würde Sie gerne mal fragen, ähm, was Sie von den ganzen so sozialen Medien halten. Was halten Sie von, von der ganze, ganzen Flut ähm, der, ja, oder der, genau, von, den, von der immer weiter ver sich verbreitenden 
Nutzung auch unter jüngeren Kindern ähm, von sozialen Medien. Was halten Sie davon? Ähm, und also wir haben hierzulande eine große äh, Umwalzung da erlebt, als Elon Musk äh, Twitter gekauft hat. Richtig. Also ja. vor, sagen wir mal, ich weiß nicht, wann das genau passiert ist, aber sagen wir mal, vor einem Monat äh, war Twitter einer von den Haupt- äh, einer der Hauptquellen von Pornografie am Internet. Und das oh. war, das könnte man, man könnte nicht wissen, yeah. ob und wann Pornografie auf seinem Bildschirm da auftauchen würde. Könnte, man könnte das nicht wissen. Und jetzt wissen wir, äh, warum der vor, äh, dafür verantwortlich, verantwortlich war. Und das war eine gewisse Joel Roth, Roth, Roth äh, auf Richtig. Englisch. Richtig. Jude, der ist Jude und der ist äh, homosexuell. Eine, eine sehr äh, äh, brisante Kombination hier. Und er war zuständig dafür, so Safety, Sicherheit. Sicherheit unter sein, noch ein Schritt zurück. Es gab auch einen Jude namens Cohn, der einfach Jack Dorsey rausgeschmissen hat. Jack Dorsey war, der war Katholik, der kam aus St. Louis, der hat Twitter gegründet und dann durch eine, eine Hostile Takeover hat Cohn das übernommen. Twitter übernommen und dann wurde äh, Joel Roth zu einer wichtigen Position. Was, was heißt wichtig? Wichtig für die Juden. Wichtig für jüdische Einfluss über Social Media. Und was heißt das? Also erstens, die zwei Säulen von jüdischen Einfluss über äh, äh, Social Media, Nummer eins, Pornografie, die äh, weit, weit, am weitesten verbreitete äh, Pornografie, erste Säule und zweite Säule ist Hate Speech. Also äh, äh, jeder, der äh, äh, schuldig ist, äh, Hate Speech begangen zu haben, wurde ausgestoßen. Und Elon Musk hat das so genau umgekehrt und äh, Kontrolle über seine eigene Operation äh, äh, genommen. Erstens hat er Pornografie gebannt, er hat äh, Joel Roth gefeuert oder Roth ist weg. Nicht? Roth war auch für äh, Kinderpornografie da verantwortlich. Überall in, in Twitter konnte man Kinderpornografie da, da ansehen. Das, er, er war weg und dann gab äh, Elon Musk äh, alle Leute, die gebannt worden waren, Leute wie ich, beispielsweise unter dieser jüdischen Herrschaft, wurde äh, Amnestie gegeben und dann habe ich meinen äh, Twitter-Account zurückbekommen. Jetzt ist die ADL, äh, die Anti-Defamation League, die äh, jüdische Staatspolizei, äh, äh, Geheimpolizei hier in, in Amerika, sind sie wieder mit äh, 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 Musk empört, weil er die jüdische Kontrollmechanismus über Gedanken in Amerika durch Twitter da gebrochen hat. Oder beziehungsweise ja. hat uns befreit. Der hat die, 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 die People, die ihre Twitter-Accounts haben, von jüdischer Herrschaft befreit. Und das ist ein, eine große Tat an seiner Seite. Ja, ähm, ich hätte jetzt noch eine weitere Frage. 
und zwar ähm, zur Wissenschaft und der Entwicklung ähm, in der westlichen Welt, vor allem in Deutschland. Ähm, was hat sich da abgespielt im, in, äh, ja, im, im, in den nachfolgenden Jahren des, des Zweiten Weltkrieges? Ähm, glaubst du, dass, dass es dort auch ähm, ja, Einfluss gab von, von, von Eliten, die dort eben den, den, die, die Entwicklung von neuen Technologien unterdrückt haben oder diese ähm, ja, einfach ähm, boykottiert haben? Ähm, was, was fällt Ihnen dazu ein? Ja, die, äh, die Siegermärkte haben äh, in Milli Milliardeweise äh, deutsche äh, Patente gestohlen und ähm, in, in gewisser Weise wichtiger haben die äh, deutsche äh, Arbeit, deutsche Talent nach Amerika gelockt, um gewisse Industrien da auf die Beine zu bringen. Beispielsweise die Raketenindustrie. Die haben Leute wie Werner von Braun hierhin gebracht. Als Siegermächte haben die Amerikaner und die Russen in einer groben Weise die ganze Industrie, Basis für Industrie, da einfach gestohlen und ein bisschen, ein bisschen da hingelassen. Mehr als ein bisschen, okay. Man könnte das, man nennt man das, das der Wirtschaftswunder. Und das kam äh, nach dem Zusammenbruch von dem Morgensau-Plan, als die äh, Erwachsene im Zimmer festgestellt hat, dass ohne eine, eine blühende Industriegesellschaft äh, werden die äh, Deutschen nach Kommunismus da gelockt und würde wahrscheinlich eine Vereinigungspakt Ost-West unter Stalin da unterschreiben. Richtig, ja. Das, 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 deshalb musste man äh, eine gewisse äh, Zuteil an äh, Wohlstand den, den Deutschen geben, um sie im, im westlichen äh, Orbit, im westlichen Kreis da zu halten. Richtig. Interessant. Ja, ähm, Vielen Dank. Ich denke, das, das wären so meine Fragen von meiner Seite. Ich möchte mich ganz herzlich bedanken bei Ihnen für das Interview. Ja, ja und ger gern geschehen, gern geschehen. Und ich, ich wollte auch sagen, das ist dann mein erstes Interview auf Deutsch. Auf Deutsch, ja. So, das ich, haben Sie ich, sehr ich, schön gemacht. Ja. Ich, ich, ich gratuliere und hoffe, ja. dass es äh, gut in Deutschland ankommt. Ja. Vielen Dank. Ja, Ihr Deutsch ist noch on point. Ebenfalls. Gern geschehen. Ja. Alles Gute. Alles Gute. Gleichfalls. Gleichfalls. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you very much, Dr. Jones. That was wonderful. I'll set you up for a Spanish interview next time. <laughs> well, let me learn Spanish in the meantime. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I heard you did, you did a tour in Argentina and spoke Spanish. I did, I did, and uh, I learned how much I still have to work on my Spanish because of that tour. Okay. But anyway. Great. Uh, th thank you for arranging this. I think it's an important, I hope we get some type of response from German. So, uh, are we going to, do we have the recording? Well, anyway, I will, I will put it on my channels and, and see what type of response I get from my German, uh, German readers. <laughs>